Now, um, you know, I've been teasing this a little bit already, but today is going to be a, a unique service, a very unique service for us, as we're going to be saying goodbye to our teaching pastor, Casey Fritz, um, and I have a lot of mixed emotions about that, um, but we're going to be saying goodbye to him today, and um, he'll be giving his last talk today, and then afterwards stick around because we want to show him some honor, and we want to be pray for him and his family um, but, but Casey isn't just our teaching pastor. He's the other founding pastor of Collective Church. Some of you who might be newer to our church community might not be aware of that, that he and I planted this church together. And um, it was back in 2011, actually, that Casey reached out to me on Facebook. And um, he, uh, he was a complete stranger to me at the time. I had no idea who he was. But he reached out to me on, on Facebook, and he was living in Arizona at the time and pastoring out there, and he and Emily were considering um, moving to Los Angeles. And they ended up moving here to the city, and, and we became friends, and we ended up starting to work together at another church in town. And Casey and I spent countless hours talking about church planting, because that was something that, I, that was on his heart. Uh, it was something that I was passionate about, but I didn't think I'd ever do that again. But, and it was something that he felt God was calling him to do. So the whole time while we're having these conversations, literally countless hours, uh, over, uh, it was actually over two years, uh, over, an, over a two-year period, that we would be talking about church planning. The whole idea was, you know, the, what we thought at the time is that one day Casey's in the Gold Planet Church, and I was just trying to do my job by being a good sending pastor to help prepare him and to equip him. But as I said, that went on for a, a little bit more than two years. And near the end of that time, we both realized that, oh, no, what's going on? Actually, I was saying, oh, no. He was like, yeah. <laughs> I was dragging my feet. Casey was more gung-ho. And if you know him, you totally get that. Um, but we both realized that God was calling us both to plant a church together. And, um, and so that's, that's what we did. And um, planning... Collective Church with Casey has been the highlight of my 21 years of ministry. That's a long time. And in part, it's been an incredible privilege to plant Collective with Casey. But it's sort of what I said earlier. It's also because of you guys. Because you guys are amazing. And I, I, don't, I don't know what we... I don't, I don't know. Let me just say this. In those earliest days, I know Casey would agree, when we would sit and we would just talk and dream and process, this is what we dreamed of. I'm not talking about the numbers. I'm talking about the essence of who you guys are and the nature of our church community and what you guys have become. We're so proud to be able to pastor this church community together and um, but Casey and I are very different, obviously, for those that know, of you who know both of us. Why are you guys laughing? <laughs> I heard some snickers in this general area right here. <laughs> Casey and I are very different, but we share the same values. And, and that's been one of the reasons why it's been such a, a privilege for me to be able to serve with him. For a guy who's so different than me, he gets me. And... Um, it's been a, a, a real privilege to do this, and, and I, I wouldn't have done this with anybody else. And uh, unfortunately, that's coming to an end, but we're excited about what God has for him next and what God has for us next. And um, this church does not belong to me. This church does not belong to Pastor Casey. Jesus is the head of the church. He always was, and he always will be, Nothing is going to change on that front, and God is going to continue to move us forward on mission to reach people and make disciples on the west side. So with that, and for the last time, I'd like to invite up, and it's my honor to invite up Pastor Casey Fritz. Let's show him our love, everyone. Here's some love. Hi, everybody. <clears throat> Can you hear me? <laughs> oh. I don't want to do this. 
I really don't. I should tell people I'm leaving more often. This attendance is awesome. <laughs> I'm going to work very hard to try to get through this. So bear with me. But what does one say? <clears throat> For a final sermon. I was contemplating my very first talk ever given to Collective Church years ago in a really dirty high school. Who, who may have been there? Yeah, it was gross. Our lights were too bright. I think the band was trying to figure things out. I remember Lorenzo didn't have a cane. That was probably the best part of the night. I don't think Lorenzo had a cane that night. But I remember thinking days before that particular talk, I remember thinking beginning sermons are so tough because the pastor does not quite yet know the people. doesn't know the people yet. But then as time passes... And as every pastor approaches their final sermon, they're equally as challenging, but for the opposite reasons. A pastor knows his family so well. And with such adoration, there's just so much you want to say. <laughs> Doesn't have the time or the emotional stamina. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> what does one say for a final talk? Well, I thought in typical, hopefully Casey for its manner, I thought I'd start with an illustration about the devil. <laughs> the devil and the, an old monk. Generations ago, a young man asked an old monk, and he said, Father, do you still battle with the devil? And the monk said, no, 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 I used to when I was younger, but now I've gotten old and tired. Oh, so your life is easy then, the remarked, remarked the young man. Oh, no, 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 replied the old monk. It's much worse. Now I wrestle with God. There it is. That's what I want my final talk to this family which I love so much to orbit around. The wrestling match, not against ourselves, not against the world, not against our enemies, but to our terrible and lovely God. And if I may apologize again, since this really isn't a normal talk, but I simply am trying to present an intertwining of my heart with lessons learned and my last pastoral charging ever. So bear with me as I'm going to snivel, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to ramble, and I'm going to share, and I'm going to exhort. Is that okay? I hope all of this will make sense, because I went over my notes this morning, and none of it made sense. So I apologize. I was like, I don't know what I'm saying. But I want to do this. I want to share this from one of the craziest biblical stories ever. And that's from Genesis chapter 32. So if you have a Bible, please turn there. Which happens to be a cyclone of verses which have meant so much to me these last couple of months. Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. I love the sound of rustling Bible pages. No Bible for Jack today. All in his brain. <laughs> this is what... <laughs> Stupid. Verse 22 of chapter 32 of the, of the book of Genesis. And it says, The same night he, Jacob, arose and took his two wives, oh Lord, and his two female servants and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of Jebak. Verse 23, And he took them. Pay attention. He took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. Follow that. Everything he owned or had or cared about, he just sent across a river. And verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. Stop right there. The name Jacob is convoluted. It means that he's, he's a grasper. If you guys remember his story, Christians remember the story from him grabbing the, the heel of his twin brother in the womb. But the name Jacob also means deceiver. It means deceiver. By the way, apparently that's a decent baby name. If anybody's pregnant, liar is actually a really good option for a name. His name means liar. But those two meanings pretty much sum up his entire life quite well. From birth, this patriarch Jacob had been wrestling and deceiving and grappling with all of those around him. His brother, his father-in-law, and his own father. But here's the thing with Jacob. Please know this about Jacob. He always, always won. Jacob always won. He's like Brad Pitt from Snatch. Everybody remember? 
Single Punch Knockout, oh, such a great movie. Anyway, but after 30 years of running from all of these enemies he's made and deceived, God tells Jacob, go back. Go home. Like my own journey, Casey, you got to return home. Jacob, go back to the land of your, of your fathers and your brother, your twin brother who has 400 men who will be waiting for you. The one you deceived will be waiting for you. Casey, go back where much opposition possesses the land. Friends, is there anything God is calling you back to? Is there anything that you avoid? Over time, I hope you will learn as I have learned that we must deal with our past before we can possess a healthy future. But anyway, why does Jacob stay behind alone? Why did he do this? Just as he was originally, if you think about it, he's alone again as he originally left the land. Maybe it was the exact same spot. So why does he stay behind? Is it so to make sure his family gets across the bank safely? Sure. Is it to savor his last final moments of life? Because he knows he's going to die the following day as an army of 400 waited for him? Sure. Is it to pray? Sure. Whatever this intent was in being alone, he got it. Because he was alone with his uncertain future. He was alone with his fears. Jacob was alone with his anxiety. And he's alone with his past on a river bank. But then something happens. And if you've read this story before, I sure hope you imagine it like a horror movie. Because this is incredible. As he's there in the middle of the night, Jacob is suddenly aware of a presence. As he looks up, he sees an outline of a man at the edge of his tent. His eyes glowing white from the winter moon. I don't know. I hope so. And Jacob cries out, what do you want? No response. And then in the dark of night, the shadowy figure pounces on him. Now, as we read this, pay close attention as brilliant commentators and theologians say the entire, whole, complete gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ takes place on this very riverbank. Verse 24, here it is. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. Jacob wasn't hunting for this man. I'll stick around and see if I can hunt a man. And go ahead, family. <laughs> Though the man found him. To me, that brings up multiple questions, doesn't it? At least hopefully to you it does. Who was this man? Some Jewish commentators in the round of the days of Jesus said it's the, the guardian angel of Esau. Attacking Jacob. Probably not. That's kind of dumb. Some say that it was an angel. Maybe, but doubtfully. But most theologians, as I do, believe it is God. Look at verse 30. That's his why. For I have seen God, he says. So here it is. Bear with me. If we're tracking, it is God who tackles Jacob. It is God who initiates. It is God who's the opposition. It is God who, as Frederick Buechner calls, the beloved enemy. Now, though, our guts and just hearing that or knowing the story are saying, wait, 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 no, this can't be. The Lord is the lover of my soul. This can't be. He's my daddy. He's my cloud Santa. He's not WrestleMania. So this terrifies most here as it should because the Lord can and must become something wholly different than anything you or I or Jacob had ever known before. Had ever known before. And this has been my family for the last few years. Now why is that? Because God is far more passionate for our good, for my good, for your good than we are ourselves. And sometimes that means bringing us to times in our life where he becomes an opposition, a beloved enemy to our felt needs, our plans, our wants, our ideas, and our comforts. As God has done this with the Fritzes and this church, which we love so much, and as God has done this with a place called Arizona, which we, which we don't love that much. <laughs> I say that gently. My dear, dear church family, this is the expectant warning for today for all of you. You will wrestle. You will wrestle with God. Like Abraham who wrestled with God in the destruction of Sodom. 
like Moses did who resisted his call at first, like the apostles did who delayed their calling, and of course like Jesus did who gave himself over in the garden only after first prevailing for some sort of reprieve. Christians, you will all battle God. My hope today, not only through this talk, but also through my own departure, is that you must lose that battle. My hope today is that you will learn to lose the battle. Look at verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day, like a vampire. Until the breaking of the day. In junior high, I was a big kid. Not like now, I'm a Greek god now. But in junior high, I was a very big kid. I was very tall, and I was constantly sought out by the PE coach, who happened to be the wrestling coach. It's like, sign up, sign up, sign up for wrestling and, 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 and get involved in wrestling and touch people and do all the wrestling things. <laughs> and I kept pushing it off until I found out that if you sign up for wrestling, you get out of class times here and there. So I signed up immediately. Now, if you're unfamiliar with wrestling, <laughs> imagine the sweatiest, smelliest, touchiest, tightest, weirdest sport ever. <laughs> that is wrestling. And the minute I found out that I had to weigh myself in front of like the other school to figure out my weight class, I was like, like immediately, I quit right on the spot the minute they said, get on the scale. Nope. <laughs> but all that to say, I'm a wrestling expert. Here's why. If you know anything or don't know anything about wrestling, wrestling, wrestling is exhausting. It is exhausting. It's so exhausting that at the high school level of wrestling, did you know the matches only last two minutes? Did you know that they only let them do three rounds? Six minutes total. That's how exhausting it is. And yet the beloved enemy in Jacob, who I might add is 90 years old, wrestled all night. I'm 35 and I need my kids to open a pickle jar. <laughs> He's 90. And they did it all night. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're all going to freak out. Jacob, like all other wrestling matches in his life, he is winning. Yes, winning against God. Look at verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. What? <laughs> what? Prevailed is translated as greater in strength or in influence. So wait, are you tracking with me? What does this mean about God? I think many of us want a God we can prevail against. A God who we tell, no, 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 I'm going to sleep with whoever I want. A God who we say, no, no, I say where my money goes. A God where we say, no, no, I say what my sexuality is, what my future is, what my church engagement will be like. But that's not what this is showing us here. This prevailing means, and pay so close attention, this prevailing means we have a God who is humble enough to have self-limited power in order to meet you and I in that sexuality, in that uncertain future, in that confusion, in that frightening call, in that change, in that doubt, in that pain. This is Jesus. A God who did not consider or did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And it is with that humility, self-giving, compassionate God that Jacob and you and I all will wrestle with. Look at verse 25. He touched his hip socket. He touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, according to VeryWellHealth.com, <laughs> a hip dislocation is an unusual injury that is most often the result of severe trauma. The most common causes of a hip dislocation include motor vehicle collisions, falls from a height, and sometimes catastrophic sports injuries, like wrestling God. Are you tracking? As God is losing, the beloved enemy goes, I'm tired and sick of you. And he reaches down and he touches his hip. His finger brought as much dislocation to his hip as a fall from a five-story building would. And now Jacob is more crippled, helpless, and hopeless than he's ever been. 
Jacob has just lost his first battle ever, ever. The great German theologian Martin Luther said, this is the very essence of faith, the state of being between helplessness and hopelessness. That is faith. This is why we must lose. This is why you must lose collective church. This is why humiliation, dislocation, loss, grieving must happen for a new work to begin in each of us. As your pastor, for like 10 more minutes, (laughs) and as a pastor and in ministry for the last 21 years, allow me to tell you, every time I've seen God move, like the formation of a tornado in the clouds, it's been on the heels of an ending. This is our story, Collective Church, and it is so good. This family has and will, be to con- will continue to enter states of breaking and blessing and endings and beginnings and reaping and sowing. It will continue to do this long after I've been gone. Even like how we celebrate communion up here. The bread is, the, the bread is broke and blessed. And I say all of that because this is spiritual formation at its finest. It's these rhythms. This is spiritual formation. So if I could just for a moment just encourage you to embrace any change, any breaking, any loss, any ending, any newness as your formation. Allow me to speak very personally, if I can, for a moment. I've heard many people express some very humbly and overly generous words towards me these past few months about my personality or my stupid voices or whatever it is, my approachableness, and they're very, very kind words. And then it's immediately countered with, the next guy better possess those things. As if he's a one-for-one replacement of me. He won't be. So here's the thing. My leaving is not a call to the next guy. My leaving is a call to you. To you. There's a great moment in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament where it says he was way too old to continue to move or continue to lead. But it says there was still much land to possess. Joshua was old, done leading, but there's still much land to possess. So you know what Joshua did? He gave it to his 12 tribes to possess the land. What am I saying? I'm saying one particular leader's assignment had ended. Joshua, Casey, couple buddies, whatever. And the work was given to the people to complete. The work was given to the people. So whatever it is you might miss from me, from my time here ending, I do not charge the next guy with it. I charge you with it. I charge you to embody whatever it is you might like about my personality. For an example of Casey, I like the way you greet people. Guess what I'd encourage you to carnate? Casey, you're extremely handsome. But you you can't replace that. (laughs) I guarantee the next guy will be uglier. I guarantee it. So for some of you, please listen closely. My exit is your opportunity. For some of you, my end is your beginning. But it does take people to come and go and endings and beginnings for that to happen. So with that, I am brimming with eager anticipation to see what God will do next in this church. The church I love so much. So please do not mourn the future of this church today. No. Yeah, you can be sad for me as I'm sad. Yes, but we mustn't mourn for this church. God's got this church. Holy smokes, may genuine excitement and assurance flood us as we're confident that he is on the move. And not only that, trust that obedience is your, uh, excuse me, abundance is your future. Trust that abundance is your future. I really believe this. As we've sowed so much, I wholeheartedly expect a reaping and flourishing of what's to come. Please be a part of that in a very special way. And side note, I saw the guest preacher list for the summer. It's white hot gold. I wish I was staying. It's a great lineup, and I'm dead serious. Pastor Lorenzo has worked hard to bring in some people who will minister to our body radically. Anyway, I want to make this point bigger, but we have to continue to do that. Look at verse 26. Then he said... This is God. Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
Just a small side note, I find this interesting that Jacob clearly has lost. God has clearly like Hulk hogan him, right? And yet he doesn't overpower him. He doesn't destroy him. And here God asks to be released. All he has to do is put his finger to his skull, and he doesn't. He says, release me. Verse 27, and he said to him, pay close attention. What is your name? This is after 12 hours of wrestling. Oh, by the way, he says, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Why doesn't God know his name? Well, of course he does. So then why is he asking? Because Jacob has to own it. Jacob has to own it. The other time Jacob was asked his name, you know what he said? Esau. My name is Esau. But now the victor, the champion says, say your name. And Jacob cries out, I am Jacob. He goes, I'm the heel grabber, I'm the surplanter, I'm the deceiver. So you see, admitting our brokenness and claiming it, as I had to do with my own past and my brokenness, and everyone here must do, and then from there, we learn that sometimes the greatest effect of battling and wrestling with God is not a change of our situation. It is the change of our being. Theologian A.W. Pink helps us get there. Jacob was not wrestling with this man to obtain a blessing. Instead, the man was wrestling with Jacob to gain something from him. As to what this object is, is the best commentators agree on is it was to reduce Jacob to a sense of nothingness. Look at this, verse 28. Then he said to him, you shall no longer be called liar, deceiver, surplanter, but Israel. Jacob was reduced to nothingness, ground zero, ashes, so much so that he would no longer identify as deceiver, liar, past sin, past abuse, past methods, past old ways, whatever. Jacob, Christians here, you are something holy and completely new, but this only comes through defeat. You are must lose as Jacob lost. Or did he? Look at verse 28. Then he said, this is God again, your name shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob prevailed? I'm confused. How is a hipless, helpless, hopeless Israel guy, Jacob, prevailed. It's as if the champion takes off that rad gold belt thing and he buckles it around the loser. And he goes, he lifts his arm in there. He's the winner. What? He just broke his hip. What are you talking about? Here it is. What are we missing? Verse 31. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. The prevailing victory of Jacob is his wound. As many of you know, I've been using this language as an illustration for, for explaining my departure. I wrestled with God a few years ago. I now possess a limp. And sometimes my particular role or the city of Los Angeles, as I've said, requires a limping man to run. So I have new limitations, new energy, new bandwidth. A limitation that God has revealed to me so clearly that if I don't steward it or steward my soul or this fa my family or this church, then I will be disobedient. So I've learned to embrace my limp not as a defect or as a defeat, but as victory. My limp is now my victory. Moving forward, I can only hope that is my prayer for the future of this church, that God would be so active and near to this community that you would be in a constant state of submission, resignation, and deference. I saw in my Bible a note from late 2014 where Lorenzo and I were having a private prayer meeting, praying for what he said so beautifully about you all. And you know what? Apparently we were praying all over and over and over again because I kept circling it and put like a hole through the page of my Bible. It was a prayer in 2014 that says, may we never grow out of desperation. May we never 
outgrow desperation. I believe God is answering that collective church, just not in the ways I would have expected. This is why God pounced upon Jacob as to retrieve his desperation. And now Jacob possesses the readiness to be reduced to failure as Christ was on the cross because his open wounds opened his heart as it will do for all of you. One of my favorites, Brendan Manning, says it this way. On the last day, Jesus will look over us, not for medals or diplomas or honors, but for scars. This is the victorious defeat. This is the glorious limp that I wish upon us all. Verse 26. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob is fixated on another heel. You notice that? Not only his brothers in the womb, but now with Jesus's. God's. And this is not a group of violence, but of fixed desperation. Jump to verse 29. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? Basically, God just said, you know who I am. You know exactly who I am. And there he blessed him. Jump to verse 30, the end of it. For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Um, you know, it's funny, the, the, the sort of dumb hashtag bless thing that everybody thinks is really funny. Whatever, like that whole thing is sort of cheesy and silly. But in all seriousness, blessedness or a blessing needs to be redeemed from some of its cheesiness. Because it's really, it's a reality worth grappling, or excuse me, grappling. As it means, if you don't know the definition of blessing, as it means to be most fully satisfied in him, despite the circumstance. So the blessing this church is wanting from God will not come from striving. You all want this church to be blessed. It will not come from more striving. We all want this church to be blessed. It will not come from Casey. We want this church to have better music, better venue, better relationships. It will only come through submitting. Or I could say it this way. Winning a blessing only comes by losing to God. So I pray that this church would be filled with a bunch of losers. I really do. Church, when God calls you to wrestle with him in prayer, scripture, community, discipleship, mission, overcoming temptation, killing the false self, dying to the flesh, new pastors, new change, new transitions, it is always an invitation to receive his blessings, to be most fully satisfied in him. Always. So next time you're like, life sucks right now. Where the heck is God? He's trying to give you a blessing. So never forget, when God makes us wrestle for some blessing, it is not because God is reluctant to bless, even though it may feel like that. It is because God knows there's more blessing in the wrestling than without. Again, that is my encouragement and hope for this, the future of this church, that you will always remember that there is more glory and toil than there ever will be in abundance. Why? Because as Jacob was stewing in his own anxiety over what was to come, as I've been doing for months as some of you may be doing for now, asking what will happen, what's next? Then the wrestling drew out of Jacob a fearful preoccupation and brought an entirely new focus. The same is true for me and my amazing wife, wherever she's at. She's probably not even here. She's probably home. I don't know. If, oh, she's over there. And our kids, as it will do for this church family. So in that Arizona Limping, wounds, change, and pastoral transitions are a blessing. It is, it is a form of satisfaction. So then, in ending, I want to switch gears really hard, and I've got Lorenzo's permission to do so, and give a handful of pastoral exhortations and encouragements of how to be blessed and how to be a blessing in my stead. They're random. They're no particular order. I didn't make screens for them because I'm tired. <laughs> but imagine these as my prayer blessings for this church and for you for now and for all of your days. As one of your founding pastors, these would be some of my final prayers for you. If you want to write them down, that would be dope. Again, no particular order. This is how to be blessed and how to be a blessing. The greatest gift 
you'll ever give this church is the healthiest version of yourself. Period. Not the exhausted, not the busy, not the half in, half out, not the sacrifice everything type of person, no. The healthy, rested, receiving, giving, serving, discipling and being discipled, humble, responsible, family, steward, follower of Jesus is your greatest gift to this church. Please do not ever doubt that. If you notice yourself getting unhealthy, that is a warning sign. Number two, again, my next encouragement would be, please, and this is only to a small number of you, never be a statistical number. Murder and suffocate all forms of consumerism and passivity. I've always believed Angelinos are the most ambitious animals on the planet. May that same ambition enter this family because a passive faith is a dead faith. Wage war on it. Next. Please. Do not underestimate the power of a small encounter. Many of you have heard my story many times. A young man named Cameron Sutter in 1998. <laughs> the late 90s. He shook my hand and he said, hey man, you want to hang out with me? And I got saved not too long after. Because somebody showed me love and a small encounter. So my, encounter, my encouragement for you is encounter everyone here you know or don't know as if they were a piece of you that was missing. The young, the old, the black, the white, the awkward, and the enemy. Encounter them so radically that it's undeniable that you love with a gospel love. Next. I once had the opportunity, truly a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, to sit with a hero of mine, a brilliant pastor and writer named Eugene Peterson. And I said, Eugenie, Gene, bud. I said, Pete, Pete, listen up. I got a lot to say. <laughs> Stupid. What do you care? Anyway, I said, I said, Mr. Peterson, I said, what is our generation lacking? And without hesitation, and it was shocking, it was out of hesitation, because it took him five minutes to say no to everything else. No. It was just, anyway, he, he said without hesitation, he said, patience, 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 patience is lacking, he said, in our generation. Collective needs to be born this way now. Racial diversity in this church needs to be this way now. People need to be more loving in this church now. And so on. And as I agree with the goal, I do not agree with the method. God has called this church to be more like a garden than a fast food restaurant. Gardens take patience and co-gardeners. When people leave this garden for other gardens, it's because somebody planted a seed years ago that the impatience process is already fully formed over there. And to do that is skipping out on the art of patience and its sanctification. Let's be more patient with this church. We're new. We're young. Next, I'm going through them fast. Bear with me. Please support your local pastors with fervency. In about five minutes, like I said, I'm no longer your pastor, so I can say what I'm about to say. <laughs> What's Lorenzo going to do, fire me? <laughs> <laughs> Isaac and Lorenzo, wherever you may be, They're just the best pastors I've had the honor of serving with. They need your spiritual and practical support if you want them to stay that way. Invite them over for dinner. Offer to watch their kids for free, for free, for free. Get to know them and pray your face off for them. Well, hopefully everybody realizes that pastors, as far as the spiritual warfare goes, they're generals who ride the front line. They sign up for the front line. Your spiritual support, your practical support, your love for two men like this is much, much needed. Next, and I'll do these very quickly and then I'll end. Never stop being irreverent. Never stop being irreverent. Irreverent. Yes, you heard me. Irreverent to Christian culture and nominal Christianity. Continue breaking down mythos and false reputations that have become most prevalent in our most precious faith. Break them down. 
Next, never play Imagine Dragons. Nickelback, <laughs> Old Town Road, Creed, at any collective functions ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> Ethan, you promise? And lastly, risk everything on Jesus. Risk everything. Your sexuality, your wallet, your future, your concerns, your hope, your hopelessness. Risk it all on Jesus. Bet your farm, sign the deed of your life over, go all in, risk it all. I know there are some here who have been here for years who are just dipping their toe in, and that's fine. God is patient with those he loves. But from one pilgrim to another, you will never regret it. Take it from a limping man. Your hope will not be misplaced by risking it all on Jesus. Because before giving us anything, he demands everything. So give it to him without reservation. That is what it means to follow Christ, that we tap out in a wrestling match our wills, our treasures, and our futures. Before we receive new life, we have to offer up our old ones. The question for you today, as it was for me, is will we do it? Amen? One thing that we've been doing over the last few weeks is that we, we wanted to give our church community in each of you an opportunity to say something to uh, Casey and his family and express your thanks and to show them, show them how much you love them and those sorts of things and maybe even share how God has used them in your lives. And uh, one thing I failed to mention earlier is that um, we have some more cards that are over there on the far um, uh, bar counter. And um, when we're dismissed, we would love for you to go over there if you haven't done this in previous weeks, or even if you have. More than one is totally fine. And uh, just write a little note to Casey and his family. That would, that would be awesome. Um, we're going to wrap up in a bit, but we wanted to make sure that we did this right and that we honored Casey and his family. So, um, Casey, where's the rest of your family? <laughs> so if you're part of the Fritz family... His, Casey's immediate family, because I know we have some extended family here today. Uh, come on up, Fritzes. I know this is awkward for you. That's okay. Isabel, as well. Emily, we got something for you. And Isaac, Pastor Isaac, as well. Cool. <laughs> so here's the thing um, those have been sitting in water so they didn't die so they might be dripping all over you just so you know and also I know you're in the process of moving so those are probably going to go in the garbage but anyway it's, <laughs> it's a thought that counts and we wanted to just give that to you um, yeah like I said we wanted to be able to, to honor uh, Casey's family and we wanted to do this right and um, Casey if I could um, speak to you for a second. Are you going to cry, bro? There's Kleenexes right down there. Uh, Casey, I'm um, so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I've had to serve you prior to Collective and here as well. And as I said earlier, this has been um, such a, a highlight for me in my ministry career. Um, I want to say something publicly to you that I know is important to you. Um, I know you wanted this. You probably don't want me to say it, but I know you, it was important to you. And it's something that we've been talking about since this whole thing and this whole possibility of you guys moving on came up last August. And I wanna say to you and in front of everybody, and I'm sure everyone here would agree that you have finished well. You finished well. I know that was important to you. And you know what? It was important to me for you because I knew that that was your heart and you, you've done it. You've, you've done it. And I know that um, we don't always see that in ministry. And uh, you, you've, been, you've been faithful and you've and you finished well. You've taught me a lot in the times that <laughs> you seem surprised. <laughs> you've, you've taught me a lot. I've, I've learned a lot from you over the time that we've served together. And, and I admire the, the steps of faith 
that you've taken, that I've seen you take, and your willingness to do difficult things when God asks you to do them. And that's meant a lot to me to see that modeled and that example before me. And I think as we've been walking through this and have been communicating with our church family about the reasons why you're moving on, I think that's been a model and an example to them as well. And um, uh, Pastor Isaac and I, as the remaining pastors, we appreciate that example that you have set for this church community. Uh, I want you to know that, like you alluded to it earlier in your talk of some of the difficult things that you've been through, and to a very small degree, we've been, as a church community, we've been through those things with you. Um, But I wanna say it publicly that um, I never have regretted for a second planning collect to church with you. You've not been um, an Achilles heel. Um, You've not been a ball and chain or whatever other metaphor I can think of. You've been hard on yourself because of your limp at times, and you've said things like, I can only give 50%, but I disagree with you. You've been walking as faithfully as a limping man can. In the way that you can, you've been given 100% of yourself, and you, um, I never had to question your commitment to our church and your desire to be faithful to God and to continue to, to, continue to shepherd our church community. So whether you call it 50% or I call it 100%, I thank you for giving of yourself and making the sacrifices that you've made. Um, You've been a a gift to this church community, and thank you for pouring your heart into this church community. And you have people that love you here a lot. You guys love them? But here's the best part, and this is also something I know that is important to you. You have people here that love you, but you don't have fans. Pastors shouldn't have fans. And it's a testament to how you've conducted yourself and how you've faithfully ministered here that you never made it about you. And even today, we gave you 35, 45, whatever minutes that was, and you could have taken that time and made it all about you, and you didn't. And you faithfully preached God's words to us for our good and our benefit and for the sake of our discipleship. So thank you for that. And we just want to honor you and recognize your service to this church community. And in recognition of the nature of your service here, we got you a little gift. And this gift has great symbolism behind it as it represents the word of God which you brought to us over so many Sundays. And now we want to give it back to you as a tangible gift to serve as a reminder of your time with us. Isabel is going to bring it up. This is a Bible that we had custom recovered for you. Um, I tried to get you the most gaudy ribbons I could find. (laughs) I know that you've been been obsessed over that Bible. He's been... Yeah, Bryce has a Bible that's similar in, in case he's always like drooling all over it. Um, so that's the Bible we got for you, and then we had it custom covered for you. And if you look on the inside flap, there's a little, a little note uh, from our church community to you. And you faithfully preach the word to us, and so we hope that this can serve as a reminder and a memento to you of the years that you've labored faithfully preaching that word of God to us for our benefit. Thank you very much. Um, Emily, thanks for putting up with this whole church planting thing. (laughs) Thanks for putting up with me. Thanks for putting up with Casey when he was mad at me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for standing by your man and supporting him through difficult times. And you might think, duh, of course, but it, it, it modeled faithfulness and it modeled what a supportive wife, um, should do when, um, when her husband is going through difficult times. So thank you for that. And the sacrifice that you have made, I mean, Casey gets all the attention with his official role and capacity here, but the sacrifice that you have made here on behalf of Collective Church, even when it only looked at times like supporting your husband, um, has not gone un- unnoticed. 
I remember when we were just about, I think we were about 14 or 15 months into building our core team and we were just about to launch our first Sunday gatherings, we had a, a misunderstanding with one of our vendors. And they sent, I don't know how many large boxes to Casey's house thinking that we had placed an order when we hadn't. You remember that? It's your favorite part of this whole experience, right? <laughs> and then it took almost a month, I think, to get them out of your, out of your living room. So thank you for giving yourself in all the ways that you have. And I know that you've, you guys have been concerned about uh, your kids, not, not so much concerned about your kids, but, but wanting this to be a good experience for your kids. And, um, and I, I know that you've been mindful of what this transition would be like for them as they move to a new state. And I know that you wanted to take a family vacation and have some quality time together as a family as you start your new lives together in Arizona. And um, we wanted to take care of that for you guys. So here you go. So, so there's, we took care of everything, and there's also a little something else in there as well, but we took care of all the details, and um, <laughs> we took care of, of all, of all. <laughs> so we're, we set you guys up in, a, in an amazing resort in Arizona, and um, we hope you enjoy it. And also for the kids, they've got a big water park there, so we hope... We hope that you guys have a good time. And I know, I know Casey loves his spa days. They have a spa there. <laughs> anyway, what I'd like to do is, um, if we could, if we could just, uh, I know we've already done it, but if we could also just take a second, we've, we've written notes and maybe we've been able to grab Casey and Emily and say, hey, we love you, thank you for everything, whatever. But if we could one more time as a church community just show them our love and our appreciation uh, for, for the way that they've served here so faithfully. That would be awesome. So, thanks, guys. And I know that makes you guys incredibly awkward, and Pastor Casey's brain right now is frying because he never wanted to make it about himself. He always wanted to make it about Jesus, but this is what we're thanking you for, Casey. We're thanking you for being a faithful shepherd and always making it about Jesus. And uh, we love the Fritz family, all of us do, and uh, we're so grateful for the years that you've spent here and in investing in us, and we're looking forward to what God has for you in this next chapter of your lives in Arizona, and you have to just promise to come back and visit us. All right. Would you guys pray with me? We want to just uh, pray for the Fritz family as we send them off and say goodbye.